Happy Mother's Day. Hi, my name is Kelly and I was very moved today when I read a story out of a book that I am reading right now called If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. This this book was actually recommended to me um, through a friend of a friend. My dear friend Krista Lane told me that our dear friend, mentor, woman goddess mentor, um, Heather Jansky had recommended this book to Krista and Krista to me. So Heather, you might not know this, but uh, thank you. Your recommendation has made its way to me and this book is rocking my very core. So much so that I just felt so called to share today this story with anyone who is interested. Um, there are themes of motherhood in this story that speak to me on, on Mother's Day. Today's May 10th, 2020. But really, this is a story um, for all women. So again, the, the book this story comes from is... If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. And a little bit about Sharon Blackie. She's a writer, mythologist, and psychologist, and her work is focused on exploring and deepening our relationship with the land and with the place through transforming the power of myth and story. She was originally trained as a psychologist and neuroscientist, and Sharon has practiced as a therapist specializing in narrative storytelling, storytelling, creative imagination, and clinical hypnotherapy techniques. She is um, a beautiful writer, and this book shares both her personal journey through it from working in a you know, big corporate environment in London to leaving that path and, and following a really a lifelong journey to finding out who she is. And she shares many, many stories and wisdom from the Celtic region and does so, so, so beautifully. So this story that I'm going to read to you comes from her book. I highly recommend ordering her book and reading it, especially now during this time of confinement during COVID-19. Many of us are at home and I encourage you to be reading, learning, growing, and contemplating on what you can do to further uh, shape the direction our humanity will go after this pandemic. Books like this are helping me contemplate and think about not only the person who I am and want to become, but also the work that I hope to do in this world. I hope you enjoy. Happy Mother's Day and love to you all. The Selfie's New Skin there is an island to the far west of these lands, close to the end of the world. Somewhere in your dreams you've seen it. Long white beaches, rocky coves, stormy seas. From the cliff tops on this westernmost shores, you might sometimes catch a glimpse of the Isle of Women, way out in the horizon, where the sky is blue and the air is still, which happens rarely enough in those parts. Here the wind blows hard along through the dark days of winter, and summer is precious and fleeting. Somewhere along the stormiest section of the westernmost coast is a high, inaccessible cave where they say the old woman of the world lives there, and her companion, Trickster Crow, 
but no one I've ever met has ever found that cave, though many have searched and many have drowned in the process. Maybe she's still there, stirring the soup which contains all of the seeds and all of the herbs and all of the essence of all the growing and living things in the world. Maybe she's still there, working on the most beautiful weaving in the world with its fringe of sea urchin quills. The island's beaches are haunted by seals, neither common seals nor gray seals. I've never seen they're like elsewhere. But they're not just ordinary seals, they're selkies. And for one night every month, on the night of the full moon, they can take on human form if they choose. And it is said that on those nights, they slip off their seal skins and dance on the beach under the moonlight. On this island, once there lived a fisherman. He was a handsome man with coal black hair and bright blue eyes, and he stood tall and strong. Although many of the local girls mooned over him and dreamed of being his wife, he never seemed to find anyone that represented the qualities he wanted. He was something of a dreamer, you see, and they said that it was a miracle that he managed to catch any fish at all for all the time he would be spending staring out to sea when he took to his boat. He believed that love would come upon him like a clap of thunder or a crashing of the waves on the rock, and he never had that feeling with any of the girls he had grown up with. They were all too familiar somehow. He wanted mystery. He yearned for something he couldn't name. One night, he was feeling restless, and so he took a barefooted walk along the beach as he often did. The sky with this midnight blue, the stars shining brightly, and the full moon smiling down on him as he stared out into the waves. His eyes rested on a large smooth rock that lay on the far shallows of the bay, and it came to him that he could see movement on and around that rock. As he paddled slowly and quietly toward it, he saw a small group of women dancing in the sea. Their hair shone like the moon, their eyes glistened like the stars, and their skin shimmered like milk in the water. Their bodies were long and graceful, their voices soft and lyrical as they called and laughed with each other. They were so beautiful, and he stood quite still drinking in the sight of them as they drifted further away from the rock, playing in the shallow water. After a while, he noticed the pile of what looked like animal skins lying on top of the rock. Chilled to the bone, yet strangely excited, he recalled all the tales of selkies. They would change into women, he remembered, by slipping off their seal skins. Without those skins, they would remain human and trapped on the land, unable to return to their homes beneath the waves. The man was overtaken by a strange yearning as he watched the women in the sea, and a feeling crept over him that this was the mystery he had been looking for all of his young life. Somehow these women personified his love for the sea and her beauty and mystery, and he wanted one of them for his wife. So he crept quietly to the rock and stole one of the seal skins, folding it tight and tiny, and pushed it into the pocket of his jacket. After a while, the women called to one another and began to swim back to the rock, each one finding and putting on her seal skin, transforming herself back into the sea in the wink of an eye. 
and then slipping away into the water, disappearing beneath the waves, all but one of them. She searched high and low, clambering over rocks and diving into the sea around it, but she failed to find her skin. Seeing her distress, the man stepped out from where he had been hiding behind the rock. I have your skin, he said to her, but I don't want to give it back to you. You won't stay with me, will you be my wife? The seal woman shook her head and shrank behind him, but slowly and carefully, as if he were gentling a wild animal, the young fisherman stepped closer to her, and he looked into her eyes, and he saw hers change, widen, soften. Seven years, he whispered to her. Seven years. Give me seven years, then I'll give you back your skin. After that, I'll let you decide. If you want to leave after seven years, then I'll let you go. And at that moment, the first light of dawn crept into the sky and the glow of the moon began to fade. Reluctantly, then, the woman went with him, understanding that without her skin, she could do nothing. She had no choice, but he seemed to be her, to be a handsome young man and strong, and his eyes were kind. For all that he had visited, this face a fate upon her. With one last yearning, she looked over her shoulder and waved goodbye to her sisters, their seal heads popping up from the sea, their eyes glistening like dark jewels in the fading moonlight. The young man was happier than he had ever imagined might be possible. As he lay beside his wife in bed at night, he fancied he could smell the sea and he listened to her breathing beside him. He fancied he could hear the whisper of the waves. He was content. As for the seal woman, she bore him a daughter, a nine, nine months after they were wed. At first, she seemed happy enough with her life and with her child. Mara, she called her after the sea. She would take her daughter down to the shore and teach her the ways of the lore of the waters, telling her stories of her people and of other mysteries beneath the waves. The child loved the sea with all her heart, but she was half human, so she loved the land too, and could not imagine ever forsaking it. She was at home in her skin and knew her place in the world, but then so had her mother been when she was her daughter's age. The Selkie did her best to look after the child and care for her husband, but as the years went by, things began to change. He went away from the house more often, either fishing or drinking with his friends in the local inn, and she was left alone. She began to creep out by herself at night, stealing down to the shore, always looking for her sisters. But they had abandoned that beach on the night she was taken, fearing that the same fate would befall them. So she watched and she wept, and as all hope began to fade, she became more and more sorrowful. Her skin began to dry up. Her eyes and her hair grew ever more dull. Even with seven years were up, hating herself for needing to leave her daughter, but knowing she must find her way back to herself, which could come only with finding her way home. She asked her husband if he would return her skin, but he simply laughed and refused. She was still the most beautiful woman on the island, and she was his. Why ever would he let her go free? The seal woman grew slower and sadder. 
frightened that she might lose her. Mara asked if she was ill. And finally, her mother told her that she had been fading from yearning for her lost home beneath the sea, fading because although she loved her husband still and loved her daughter even more, she was stranded in this place where she could not find a way to belong. Mara feared the blank emptiness that had begun to reside in her mother's eyes, and so she started to search for the Selkie's lost skin. She searched every part of the house, every part of the land, but she couldn't find it. She searched and searched until she exhausted herself. Then, eventually one night, after she had spent hours searching again while her father was out and her mother asleep, she found herself yawning in the boat shed and crept into her father's boat to take a nap. And there, under a heap of fraying ropes and soiled sailcloth, she finally found the sealskin, hidden still inside the pocket of the old jacket that the fisherman had been wearing on the night he stole her mother away. As Mara pulled at it, the skin rolled out. She caught a faint whiff of the sea, the smell of her mother. But as she picked it up from the floor where it had fallen, the skin had begun to disintegrate in her hands, for it was old. It had not been used for a long time, and now it would never be used again. Mara hurried home and wakened her sleeping mother, and with tears in her eyes, brought her down to the shore where she presented her with her old, shredded skin. She watched as her mother sank to her knees and wept. She saw the hope and then the life began to drain out of her eyes, and then she acted. She half carried, half dragged her mother down to the sea, where she rolled into the shallows and let the seawater cover her body. Slowly, slowly, the sulky woman began to revive, but as she walked back to the house with Mara, there was nothing but emptiness in her eyes. For many weeks, the sulky woman stayed in her bed. Her heart was a black hole. There was no help to be found, and her life stretched ahead of her, endless, dark, hopeless. She would never find her way home, never find her place, never again find a way to belong. But Mara would not let her mother die, and so she went to visit the wise old woman who lived in a small stone cottage up the hill at the far end of the village. She asked this old woman what she should do to help her mother, whether indeed anything could be done. Your mother must help herself, the old woman told Mara. You cannot do it for her. And though I know the ways of herbs and moss and the paths that animals take through the old woods, I do not know the ways of the sea. And there is one who does. And if your mother can find her way to her, it may be that she will tell her how she might be saved. And so Mara went home and told her mother that she must find the old woman of the world and who's sometimes to be found in those days still, if you had the endurance enough to make the journey and courage enough to face her in the darkness of her cave. At first the seal, seal woman said that she could not possibly follow this quest. She was too tired and too ill. The way would be too difficult and there was no guarantee of success but Mara would not let the subject go. She pleaded with her mother and pleaded some more, and then she wept until finally one morning the sulkie could not bear her daughter's despair no longer. She roosed herself from her bed and put on her strong boots and wrapped herself in a warm cloak. 
She took nothing else with her, for the wise woman had told Mara that the journey must be made while unencumbered with unnecessary things of the world. The Selkie did not know where to go, not really. All she knew was that she could find the old woman of the world somewhere on the high westernmost cliffs of the island. And so, pulling her cloak tightly around her, she began to walk north. She walked in the rain, along beaches, with the wind so strong in her face that every step took twice as long as it ought. She clambered over rocks so slippery she fell constantly into the water and had hardly the strength to haul herself back out. Her boots were cold and wet and heavy. Her heart was heavier still. And as she shivered in geos and cowered in coves, she drank from icy burns and ate seaweed for her only nourishment. It was hard, and she was weak. And then one wild day the storm raged more fiercely than ever, and the wind finally whipped away her cloak and carried it over the cliff top where she was walking on and down to the sea. She sank to her knees, lay her forehead on the ground, and began to despair. But as she knelt there, a strange rumble in the ground below her set her body vibrating, and she threw back her head and listened. And it seemed to her that, carried on the wind in snatches, she heard a woman singing a song, somewhere down below, somewhere deep inside the cliff. And it seemed to her, also, that the strange shuddering rumble she had heard sounded something like the noise of a spinning wheel might make if peddled furiously by someone who was skilled in the art. She stood and looked around her and walked and peered and poked until finally she came upon the first step of a long stairway, which was cut into the face of the cliff, seemingly ending in the sea, narrow and slippy. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath, and slowly, carefully down the stairs she went, and at the bottom she found the cave, the cave of the old woman of the world. The old woman herself sat there, spinning a fine thread, shining with all the colors that ever existed, on a rich golden wooden wheel in front of an enormous frame on which was displayed the most beautiful weaving that had ever been created, fringed with sea urchin quills. The old woman turned and looked at the selkie. So you've come to find your skin, she said. And it was as if all the seal woman could do to hold herself erect, to lift up her chin and to stop her teeth from chattering and to nod a faint, yes. The old woman beckoned her over to the glowing fierce fire at the back of the cave over which an enormous cauldron bubbled. And it seemed to her that the steam rising up from the soup in that cauldron contained the scent of all the seeds and of all the herbs and the essence of all the growing and living things. She sat and the warmth began to creep back into her bones and she listened while the old woman spoke. So your old skin was no use anymore, she said, looking longingly and deep into the fire, nodding as though she could see pictures in the flames. That's the way it goes often enough. I've heard of all the stories they tell of selkies who find their old skins and slip them back on, and away they go out into the ocean and live happily ever after, just as if nothing had ever happened to them and nothing had ever been learned. Well, that's all good and well, but it doesn't always work that way. 
and sometimes it shouldn't. She passed the selkie a cup of something hot and herbal and sweet, and she took it gratefully and sipped, and it seemed to her as she sipped all the strength and all the vitality she had lost began flooding back to her bones. You've done well to make it this far, daughter, the old woman said, but there's more for you to do before you're done. And so she told the selkie what she must do. The selkie set off again when her tea had been drunk, fresh and fit as the day her husband had first discovered her there on the beach. The sea was calm now, the air still, and she found the boat at the base of the cliff, just where the old woman had said she would find it. She climbed in and slowly she rowed across the tiny island. A mile to the north and a mile to the west, she, bought, she brought the boat to, the, to rest on a long white strand of calm sandy cove on the north side of the island, and there, too, she found the cave that the old woman told her she would find. And as she entered into the cave, she saw what she had been told she would see, and her hands flew to her mouth, and it was all that she could do not to turn and flee and throw herself into the sea and wait to die of grief. For there in the center of the caves were the skeletons and skins of eleven dead seals. They were no ordinary seals, neither common seals nor gray seals. They were selkies. They had been killed, then skinned, and then left that their flesh had disintegrated, and all that remained of each of them was a pile of bones and a skin beside each pile, shining silver in the dim light of the cave. Eleven skins, eleven skeletons. The selkie crept close, dread in her heart, but there was no help for it, for she knew her eleven sisters. She knew them in her heart and recognized their markings on their beautiful silver skins. A sea hunt, the old woman had said, and the corpses abandoned by the men in the storm, ready to be picked up some finer day. But the hunters had never returned, and the bones and the skin of the selkie sisters had rested in the caves ever since. But there was more to be done before she was done, and so she did as the old woman had told her. She lit a fire in the darkening cave, and she sat vigil over the skins and the bones. And as night fell, she began to sing the old song over the bodies of her kinfolk. No one knows the language now, nor is it a language that is usually written. But here are the words she sang. Ayonda, Ayondo, Ayonda, Oda, Oda. Hayo dando, hayo dando, hayo dando, orade. And as she sang, she heard a rustle out in the cove beyond the cave, and through the growing gloom, she peered out and saw an old gray seal crawl up and onto the sand and make its way into the cave. And that gray seal who she saw was an old, old selkie began to sing the song too. And the old selkie sang, throwing back her seal head. For the moon was new and she could not take on her human form unless the moon was full. 
A wondrous thing began to happen in the cave. Slowly, slowly, the flesh began to reform on the bones of the dead seals, all but one, the smallest and the youngest. And little by little, the skeletons began to reshape and to seem more like seals, and they grew fatter, and then they shuddered and breathed, and finally, when they were strong, rolled over and slipped into their skins, all but one, the smallest and the youngest. And ten of the eleven seals formed a circle around the sister child who could not live again, and they lifted their heads and sang a song of mourning. When they were done, they crawled out of the cave on their bellies and came again into the ocean, beckoning to their sister to follow. The old woman had told the Selkie that she would know what to do when the time came, and it seemed to her now that this was the thing that must be done. She reached for the skin that remained and held it to her breath, breast, inhaling the faint scent of a lost sister. The old seal nodded and then turned away and followed the younger ones back into the sea. It would have been easy for the sulky woman to go then. Her sisters were waiting for her. And if she followed them, they would lead her home. But there was one thing she must do, one thing that could not be abandoned so lightly. So she folded the skin tiny and tight and tucked it safely into the belt of her gown, and she found the boat on the beach, and taking up the oars, she began her long return. She came to Mara when her husband was away fishing, and she took her down to the sea and told her all she needed to know. Mara was young still, but there was something in her that understood that she must let her mother go. She could see that the seal woman wanted to stay with her, but something called to her, something so deeply a part of her nature that she could not and must not resist it. The need to find her place, to find her element, to find her way home. And so the time came for them to part, taking her daughter's face in her hands. The selkie looked deeply into Mara's eyes and breathed her breath into her lungs three times. Turning to the sea, she began to sing a strange song in a high voice. She pulled out her sister's skin, newer than her own, younger, less marked by the cares and woes of the world. But it was the seal woman's bones that this skin covered now, in which shaped it. The two merged together, old and new, and in this merging, a new form was created. With one last long look at her daughter, the selkie slipped into the sea and vanished beneath the waves. The daughter and her father mourned long and hard. Mara would often go down to the shore at night, hoping to catch a glimpse of her mother, but she never came. And then exactly one year later, on the anniversary of her disappearance, Mara's patience was rewarded. A seal was sitting on the rock, and as it saw her approaching, it slipped off its skin, and there she was, her mother. And yet somehow she was different. Her eyes and her skin and her, and her hair were shining, and something in the way she held her body told Mara that she was at peace at her home and with herself once more. And so it happened afterwards that once a year on the same anniversary of her departure into the sea, on the night of the closest full moon, the sulky woman would come to the beach and talk with her daughter and tell her stories. She taught her to sing the song that she had sung in the cave, the song that would call to her selkie kinfolk, 
She taught her the song so that one day, if she should so choose, she could take to the sea. She taught her the song that would sing her soul back home. The seal woman's sea joy, the selkie called her song. Though it had once been known as a song of mourning, for all mourning must be transformed into joy if you have endurance enough to make the journey and courage enough to face the old woman in the darkness of her cave. This story, the Selkie's new skin, oh, it's like this story has been waiting for me for three years. I have been seeking and unaware that this one simple story could summarize everything I've been seeking and feeling for the last two or three years. The story, yes, it's about sisterhood. It's about belonging. It's about finding our true essence and knowing who we really are. But it also speaks to how easily it is to be lured by the promises of the outside world. And I'm reminded that the outside world is sick. And when we are lured and compelled to seek and find happiness and healing out there, we're left unsatisfied every single time. And this concept of reminding us about our skin, which is our essence, which is our power as women, it gives the perfect symbolism to really really imagine what it is that we're seeking. I want to read this quote from If Women Rose Rooted that speaks to the symbolism of what the skin means and represents in this story. She says, The skin which we lose in our power, our authentic, unique power as women, the power to create, to guard, to transform. We become disconnected from our female body wisdom and instincts. We lose that power to the wasteland. We lose it in so many ways. It's taken from us with threats and violence. Or we follow the wrong path in life, a path without heart. We leave behind what sustains and nourishes us. We turn our back on the plight of the planet out of fear or out of ambition or simply out of a refusal to see the situation for what it is. We might have not been responsible for making the world this way, but for sure we have become complicit in its creation and its maintenance of a civilization which has caused so much damage. Oh. <sighs> when we're not wearing our authentic true skin, our authentic power, we slowly die and we feel pain and we seek healing in the material world and it can offer some respite, but we're always left unsatisfied. And being in union with our true self, our born skin is the path. And what I love about this story is that when she does indeed find some skin to put back on her skin that represents the essence of what she's been longing for the story is not over 
It's just showing her that this is putting her back on her path. There's still work to be done, healing to be had. This reunion with her daughter, this acknowledgement of that bond and love while also seeking the true path for each person. On Mother's Day, there's a lot to reflect here on the symbolism of the love of motherhood. And this story so beautifully highlights that the love of our children or the love of our partners or the love of something outside of ourself is significant and required, but it is not it. It's not the end. And as try as we might, it is without our union with our true self, without our love of our one own self and nature, we cannot rise, we cannot become, we cannot step into our essence. And the story teaches us so much about the rich love between mothers and their daughters or mothers and their children, because the young ones they're a lot closer to the pure nature and essence that we're speaking of. They have not been hardened by the years as, as we do as we get older. And I love that in this story that that bond, that love between the mother and the daughter, it is her daughter who gives her the nudge that the mother won't take for herself to go seek and to meet the old woman in the cave and to seek the tough journey and to give her mother a lovingly nudge to go seek with acknowledging that she cannot do it for her mother. But it is that love and bond which enables the mother to take one step forward. And this journey this mother has to go on to find the old woman in the cave, it requires much courage and faith without any guarantees. The only guarantee that is given is that she will surely find death. And I don't mean death in the human form in the kind of death that many of us fear, but actually it's a death of what is no longer serving us. A death of wearing a skin that is not ours. And so this death that we fear is actually the death that we need to be able to rise, grow, and become. <sighs> this story reminded me too that even when the mother reunites with the bones and skins of her sisters of where she belongs... And she is given this opportunity to take on the new skin from her youngest sister that she knows she cannot just run away from the journey that she had been on over the last several years, her human life, the human world in which had caused her much pain, but so much growth. And the mother must return to say goodbye and share what had happened to her with her daughter. And the daughter is half hers, but she is half human. And the mother must know that the daughter still has her journey 
and it is separate from the mother's, although the mother might have something to teach her daughter. But in order to teach, she must also model what it is that we're seeking. And so she teaches her daughter the song to call the seals and call her back to her and help her find her way to the sea one day if that's what her daughter chooses. She gives her the tools but will not do the work as her daughter had done for her earlier on. Honestly, this story says it all. It's a summary of the yearning and pain that many of us feel. It's also a call to seek, to find and reconnect with our own path and essence and ourself. I wish a heart-filled Mother's Day to all the mothers, all of us, women, whether you are biologically a mother or not, the story is for you. It speaks to the nature of womanhood of sisterhood, of belonging, and of the rich essence of who we really are, from our bones to our skins, and to the call we must sing to reunite with who we really are. Much love to all of you. I hope this story found a way into your heart as it did to mine and provided some comfort for you today. Much love.